Hi, this is Ashley Farode, and you're listening to Behind the Bio, the podcast about the people behind the professions. In this particular episode, Frank Madrid is my guest. Now, Frank is many things, so many things that I actually wondered how am I going to squeeze that all into an hour's worth of a podcast, but we managed somehow. Frank is relatively well known in Canberra for all his cultural work, whether it's putting on events, performing, or whether being part of a general conversation around the cultural integration and how arts can play a part in that. He is there. He's also very well known for being a dog whisperer. I laugh, but it's actually true. All the dogs of O'Connor absolutely love him. And if you don't believe me, then have a look at the Instagram account, the dogs of O'Connor, just to prove the point. Now, Frank has had many interesting experiences in his life, uh, everything from meeting some of the greatest artistic people around, right through to being kidnapped at some point for ransom. We cover all of that in the podcast. So if you're interested in the cultural scene, cultural marketing, performance, all that kind of stuff, or just Frankie's story, then this is the podcast for you. I'd like to thank the Coordinate Group, for whom I'm very thankful for supporting me to be able to bring you this entire podcast series, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Frank Madrid. Hello, Frankie. How are you going? I'm great. How are you, you, I called you Frankie. I should say Frank Madrid. How are you going? (laughs) I'm very well, actually. That's good you? to hear. Yes, I'm very, very well. Now, on the way here, I was thinking, well, this is going to be a challenge, a challenge to talk to you for an hour, not because you don't have anything to say, but quite on the opposite. There are so many things we could go into that I'm not really quite sure how to structure this conversation, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> to begin with, just for those who might not know you, the very small percentage of Canberrans, <laughs> I'm just going to pick out a couple of things when I was thinking of on the way here that you either have done or are doing. So, you're an actor. You, Correct. You've been on the Wiggles, the Spanish yes. version. All right. You're a producer in terms of uh, major festivals. Correct. Correct. You're a performer yourself in terms of being a DJ. Correct. You're a performer yourself, which you just told me a moment ago, being a singer. That's right. <laughs> um, you work in cultural marketing. And That's have. right. Uh, you've been a radio DJ for quite some time doing world music shows as well. Correct. Uh, you have, and I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, but this had impact on you when we discussed this many years ago, but you're... Uh, a victim of a kidnapping from many years ago. Oh, amongst other things, survivor of a fire at an at a hotel, <laughs> a, a, a crash, almost like a disaster land, landing of a plane. Yep. Yes, I was kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And on top of that, you know, you're very much a social person that uh, has particular views on social things, political things that I think you, you definitely mentioned in some of your media and so on. Have I missed anything in that? Oh, I should probably say there's also like a, a professional career in that uh, you were doing some kind of other work as well, which I'm not even completely across in government. Well, it's all to do with communication. Okay, so yeah. I've been working actively in the field of the um, strategic communications. Yeah. And one thing in particular in that, in foreign affairs, in cultural diplomacy. And so, that's it. That's the one I was trying to think of. <laughs> 
And last but not least, you're a dog whisperer, um, known, as, known as a legend around O'Connor for essentially being friends with every single dog. And in fact, you kind of started up a whole group with the Dogs of O'Connor thing and there's parties going on and it's just off the Hundreds chain. of dogs. Yeah, no. yeah. And it's just this weird thing. You turn up to an oval, <laughs> a few weeks later, it's, it's an organization, which I think speaks very much to you and the things that you do. It's all about bringing people together in a, in a very kind of multicultural or cultural diverse or new experience kind of way so have i missed anything it's it's a lot but i, I think you haven't missed anything you've done your research man well i don't know if it's my research <clears throat> it's just that i've known you come to think about it for so many years that um i think i've picked up on all these things that have been happening to you along the way but on top of that you know we've obviously hung out and you've told me some stories right. that thing about the kidnapping because it kind of came back to my memory was because i think i called you or you called me when i just finished watching a film and it was an exceptionally good film about someone that got kidnapped. And I remember like banging on about how awesome this movie was and, and all the rest of that. And you said, yeah, I really can't watch that film. And I said, how come? And you said, no, no, just it's triggering for me. That is exactly what happened to me. And I just Great. remember getting that story. So I guess what I'm trying to figure out is how do we talk about your life? Because this podcast is about the professions, you know, the way that we get to places. But you've taken so many different paths and so many different things. And, you know, to try to summarize it into a single sentence is almost impossible. I don't know what you say at parties, by the way. I mean, to be, to be fair, I think the, all of those things that you mentioned are interconnected. All of those things are interconnected. One way or another, it's, it's a way of communicating things and it's a way of bringing people together, even through, through performance, through activism, uh, through doing things. You know, even when, when I turn up at a government department and I'm probably the first person with a strong accent and an unpronounceable surname, uh, and then you, perform, you do your thing, you demonstrate that you have the skills that, uh, and then you break ba down barriers. Uh, that is part of this, what I see my, my role to be in life and that defines me. And often I, I'm looking for ways to, uh, I guess, break down those barriers. Yeah. And the best way to do that many in many ways often is, is the arts uh, the performing arts uh you know brings that element of of pride uh, it, it, when i'm showcasing international artists to australians when i'm taking australians overseas uh in many ways without doing a lot of talking you you break down barriers you eliminate misconceptions about things people discover what australians are like by listening to them by watching them perform likewise when we when we have a, a colombian band performing at stage 88 and and people see colombia a different way of looking at colombia colombia sounds like this and then you see that it's it's innovative it's contemporary it's uh, it's modern and people start talking to each other as, as equal you know it's, mm -hmm. it's the global experience so what i say to all of those things is um is that global experience that makes me who i am you know the places i've visited the work i've done in different countries uh, and all of that brings a little bit into the way i do things uh, it's impossible to to imagine it otherwise when i'm presenting a radio program when i'm bringing content into that radio program it's often about experiences people i've met places i've been to places that ignite my curiosity uh, uh things that i want to use the music from that place to talk about a theme or or a topic 
or I want to highlight something about an experience that I had there. I give you an example, an example of all of this. We all get really excited when we, when we listen to Cuban music. And just the word Cuba ignites these images of, you mm. know, this place and it's exotic, it's exuberant. And, and I've been to Cuba four times. So I have had the opportunity to explore Cuba as a tourist, as a visitor, as somebody that was working with the Cuban authorities, as someone engaged with Cuban artists and someone who's been there enough time to create in my mind a perception that is very different from when I first got there or where I had my, um, yeah, my ideas about what Cuba was going to be like. Uh, so certain things that I loved and adored back then, they probably have merged, they have changed. Uh, but I've also learned that I have had the privilege of visiting Cuba many times. So when I'm talking to people about Cuba, I know that they haven't had that experience. So I need to keep an open mind. I have to say to myself, of course, they have to be mesmerized by Cuban music or, or by Cuban dancing or by, you know, the, the caliber of the Cuban ballet. I've actually worked with the Cuban ballet, went to Cuba a few times and I was part of the team that brought the national ballet of Cuba to Australia. So, when Australians saw the caliber of those dancers, some of the best dancers in the world, they were also seeing a little bit of Cuba in, in, in that. But I was behind the scenes, so I was also able to see the many contradictions that are part of the magnificent thing that is the National Ballet of Cuba. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, all of that makes, makes sense when, when you see it from that perspective. And my, my thirst, to share that yeah. with with the public, I yeah. think. It makes perfect sense to me. I mean, the way that I tend to think about it is you're all about kind of connecting people with knowledge and experiences, but in an artistic format. So rather than providing information in a dry format, you put that through shows and performances and cultural experiences that people then interpret, experience, and create empathy for and understanding for, thus uniting people. It's it's kind of like that. And because even if I think of uh, the things that you've worked on, so Close to Home is obviously the Multicultural Festival, and you're working on that now. Uh, you were involved in the centenary, from my understanding. Yes, I, were, I did some work for yeah, them, yes. Um, other festivals in Canberra, which probably too many to mention. Um, then, of course, you did uh, the Summer Stage in New York, which you yes. took me in for. And I remember being there with the high highs and Maya Jupiter, amongst others. That was, that was an amazing experience. And even then, I was thinking, why is Frankie doing this? I guess... A, because it's an interesting thing to do, but what you're actually doing is taking a s- slices of Australian culture and music and then putting them into New York and saying, this is what Australia is about. You know, it's, a very diverse, interesting group of people. It's a story. It's, if you, in many ways, it's, um, it's part of a storytelling mm-hmm. and, and an interest to, um, I guess, as I said earlier, it's just bringing people closer together. When I, summer stage is, is a really good example of how things occur in my life. You know, it's, um, I landed in New York because somebody listened to one of my radio programs. Somebody <laughs> that I was supposed to be interviewing happened to be on the line for most of the duration of the program. The interview went ahead. We had a chat and uh, the interview went really, really, really well. And after the conversation, when I was not on, on air anymore, I had that normal chat that you'll have with a guest. I said, Oh, that was great. 
And the, the, the person who happened to be Dan Stopa, the, the CEO of Putumayo World Music, said, yeah, um, right. you know, um, if you're ever in New York, yeah. stop by, let's have a chat, you know, please, please come and see me if you're ever in New York. And of course, because life is the way it is, I, I was in Washington and after three days of museum watching and doing all these things, I decided I'm going to go to New York. So I jumped in the Greyhound bus. I'd like in the movies, got to New York, got to 40, 42nd Street and did the things you do in New York. And I decided, oh, I should go and visit Dan Stopa at Budumayo World Music. Landed there, had a chat. As part of the conversation, he literally said, oh, you should come work for us. And I thought, oh, that's something that you say to people. <laughs> Just a nice thing to say. Yeah. I said, yeah, sure. You know, I'd love to. Uh, followed by, why don't you come back here? The, when, when are you back in Washington. I said, oh, not until later tonight. Come, come around five o'clock. I'd like to introduce you to the board. And um, so I had a chat with a friend over lunch. I said, I think I've just been offered a job. And my friend said, no, there is a recession in New York. No one is offering a job. Went back at five o'clock. And, you know, yes, they were, they were there. And they, the then stopper asked me, um, when can you start? We'd love you to do some PR work for the label. And, and that. And as part of that, because I was in New York, I was attending Summer Stage, which is a fantastic program for New Yorkers. Mm. And, uh, and, and I decided that it'd be fun to volunteer for Summer Stage. So, um, I asked, became a volunteer because of, because of, um, my background. They gave me the VIP area to look after the VIPs. And then I noticed that they had a Canadian day. They had, you know, they had a, a Colombian, they had all these days, but yeah. they didn't have an Australian day. Yeah. And then I said, we, we must. And as you know, and they said, where's Australia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, why we, no. And then, of course, uh, from that idea, other things happen in life, but I, you know, stayed with me. We should have a, a, a summer stage uh, Australia Day, and through persistence and work and convincing many people and knocking at many doors, and some people said yes. Eventually, it happened, and like that, it's. I think that's the story of of my craft. You know, mm-hmm. as as a as as an as an events manager, as a festival director, as a producer, as a programmer, is all of those things to say. Why don't we try this? Let's you know, and why not? And it happens. Yeah. So rather than fitting into things that already exist, it's about creating opportunities. I, I completely get you. You know, when you were talking about yourself and the way that, for example, you met that head of Putumayo Records and you know they offered you the job. I know we're talking about you here, but I think it's probably worth mentioning that the impact of the things that you do, specifically around connecting people and experiences, actually grows out quite a fair bit. Just to give you an example. So that summer stage festival that happened, which, which I was performing at, so we turned up there and I ended up not only meeting the other musicians, which was quite an honor, but also ended up connecting with the gentleman who wrote My Girl. They turned up, introduced themselves, and I had no idea that I was speaking such royalty of music. And that, that kept on going. And I realized, apart from those connections that I've made, which is a handful, but really impactful, if I wanted to pursue that further, let's just say music was my number one thing in life. And it's very important to me, but it isn't the number one thing then it'd be so easy for me to grow on those connections and make the go further. So I can only imagine the amount of impact that the things that you do have on furthering 
those experiences, which I think is a really noble thing, you know. And even the, the shows that you've put on, obviously radio stations are about connecting with the communities and binding them together. And, the you know, the shows that you put on are about introducing new people to things they haven't experienced, which then changes their minds and they might talk to someone else. So there's this, like, waves out from the things that you do that I think have kind of cultural, social impact, but all in the form of really pleasant entertainment, <laughs> you know? Well, you're describing, the way you're putting it, Ashley, it's, it's, it's very, 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 a very good description of the process or, or the results, the outcomes that um, they just happen. We don't set out to connect A and B. They just happen, you know, all the work that happens backstage and when artists start collaborating mm. and, and the list is very long, but... Um, I had, I had the privilege, the, the enormous privilege to, you know, go throughout Latin America, meeting all these fantastic artists and, and enabling them to meet each other. And suddenly this person is producing an album with that other person. And, yeah. and, and when I learned about it and to know that it was because they came here to turn out and had a drink in my place <laughs> and they were having a chat and out of that. But at the same time, it, it comes from, and this is when I, I do always think it's important to play tribute to those that actually made it easier for you or gave you the first chance or, or said yes for the first time. And, uh, very early in my career, when, when you start and no one has said no to you. So, you, you know, you knock at the door and you, you go, well, you know, what's the worst that can happen? They can say yes or they can say no. And those who said yes earlier in the piece, and they don't know that they were enabling me to take it seriously. And, um, and in all of this, of course, knowledge plays a part, uh, but also uh, the vibe and, and luck plays a part. And, and I say, I'm a very lucky man, you know, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm lucky, but it, it also goes back to, um, being genuine and, and connecting with people. At, at, at that very, very, very human level, um, I found throughout my career that the more talented a person is, uh, the more down to earth, humble and approachable that person is. Mm. It's almost like it's, there is a correlation between talent and, 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 and good, good feelings. Um, I don't believe in divas. I don't work. I don't work with divas. If I had had the, bad moment to have to deal with with that um i think that i always say no there's there's no there shouldn't be space for that yeah try not to anyway yeah the other the other thing that i get from you and tell me if i'm wrong i mean you might have a bentley in your garage i don't know but it seems to me that you definitely put the fun of the work that you do ahead of it always being a, a financial gain in other words I'm sure that you could put your skills into producing commercial shows, but you don't. You go for smaller stuff that might be harder to pull off with a smaller point here audience for the experience. Um, I'm sure you don't want them to be in reverse of profit, but essentially I've never heard you talk about the money aspect of it and whether this is actually making a lot of money or not. You were essentially always trying to say, is this going to be a good product? Is this going to be fun? Is this going to be a little bit different? This is the most common word that you'd use. So I think being driven by ensuring those experiences are genuine and not actually motivated by money is probably one of the big points of difference. Tell me if I'm wrong about this. Man, 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 you, you really had hit the nail on the head because um, so... 
I, I had these discussions at, at you know board you know, boardrooms and and people ask me why don't we do this instead of doing that when it comes to when it comes to uh, independent production and and what acts I, I, I chose to bring to Australia um, the driving factor was always the caliber of the act its excellence and the fact that um, uh, I saw my role to be the one that could expose Australians to something that they have not been, had, they had not seen before. I've always, I've always seen myself as, as that catalyst that could perhaps make it possible for in each market to, to open up, to increase, to be, you know, and, and, and some of the artists, having said that, some of these artists that have come to Australia are massive in their, Mm. in the markets and, and and of course they command big fees and all of that uh, so there is also the interesting the peculiarity of this some of these artists that are incredibly famous and really big in their market they have been told by other artists that have come to Australia that the experience is unbelievable and that our audiences are thirsty for stuff like this mm. and they have said Man, there's nothing like playing to those, these Australians who don't know who you are, but they are responding so beautifully. They're screaming, they're, they're liking your bit, they're liking what you do. And that has an effect on us as artists, they say, because it's almost like they, they give them that injection, that boost of, wow, you know, what I do is, is so valid that independently of any campaigns, this, there's an audience here that values, values that. The, I remember clearly once there is this artist called Andrea Echeverri. She's like a, like a goddess across Latin America. She has several Grammys. You know, she's like, wow. And she's performing at stage 88. And I remember a, a, a person coming to me to tell me, Oh my God. She's very good. I think she's got some future. Yeah, yeah, she's. <laughs> and and I'm 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 loving this. And I'm saying, yeah, yeah, no, isn't she great? Isn't she great? So um, and and part of the the challenge of programming has been this. Uh, to be honest, um, there are a couple of shows where I did make quite a bit of money out of those shows that and I was part of a consortium that you know I made the connection and we brought the artists and the artists did really well and they performed in big arenas and and then I realized doing that throughout that process that's not the work I want to do mm. somebody else would do that and that's a fantastic work to job to do and it's great but that's not what moved me what moved me is is what you said that you referred mm. to it's a uh, it's um, exposing. It's all. It's all about audience development in a way. Mm. There were times when I thought um, this is a big task. Maybe I don't have you know shoulders big enough to carry <laughs> this. And um, but yeah, you persevere and you tried and 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 I mean I really honestly say that regardless of the money aspect and the financial gains or not. Uh, Looking at the audience when a band like this is performing, that's the the biggest reward. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure it is for the band members as well. So now that we know what you do, in part, I still think we haven't touched half of it, but that's okay. So what we, we know about you in terms of what you do and, and, and perhaps why you do it as well, so the driver. Let's go backwards and look at your childhood for a moment because I guess I want to figure out where all this has come from. So 
were you living in Venezuela? Venezuela. <laughs> oh my God, Venezuela. <laughs> or when you were younger? How, tell me about like where you were brought up, what your movement was like, and when did you get that spark to know that you're going to be kind of following this kind of cultural connection thing it's uh it's it, it's a great question because it's um it's all it's all connected i was i was born in caracas venezuela mm-hmm. and um i was um i always had a an inclination for the performing art and of course uh, school performances i was there i realized not long ago that my first actual broadcast was when, when i was um nine years old that there was a school assembly and every every second monday they had this kind of a, like a live newspaper where you know children will come and discuss things and, and then i realized that i loved it and i did that live broadcast um for a long time so i thought actually that's when i started doing this thing and being a part of being a part of productions and things like that um but being a good being a good um a good student with very good grades uh it wasn't one thing to to actually pursue a a career in in writing or performing it was expected of you to to do something more serious if mm-hmm. you like at university so given the choice i um i fo- follow uh, journalism and i started my degree in journalism in in venezuela but at the same time i was going to acting school at night so it was having coming yeah. trying to do the two um many things happened but one thing in particular uh, uh changed things dramatically um i decided at one point in my life that now that i was financially independent i wanted to go back to performing and go back to serious acting how old were you at that time uh i would be i would have been 23 okay yeah. when this happened I, right that you know i already have my degree and I, and i'm working and i decided no you know what um one of the happiest moments in my life if i could remember was when as a dancer i was able to complete a choreography just like the choreographer wanted me to do it and the feeling was so incredible that you know i wanted that feeling again so i went back to uh, i um auditioned for a prestigious acting school in venezuela and got in and i was doing i was doing all my training one thing one thing happened and it was i arrived really early to my singing class and sing, sitting there uh, waiting for the the class to ha- to start um these two ladies come out and into the reception area and they're continuing their conversation when one is telling the other um asking a question where am i going to find you tell me where am i going to find somebody who speaks french speaks english uh, has a, an interest in theater and knows how to write well tell me how am i going to do that and it's one of those moments when i thought do i say something in french and then <laughs> in english <laughs> no i just said oh, i'm sorry i th- i think i can help and i had no idea who these people were and then this lady said really come into my office so we had a quick chat and um and then it turned out that she was the vice president of the international theater institute of UNESCO right. and she was she was she needed a, an assistant sorry did you did you know how to speak french yes i did okay yeah. so you, <laughs> yeah. 
We yes, because we I have, yes, because I have been to I've been to Canada for a while. I went to, yeah, more than being able to order a baguette like I can. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. right, that's right. And um, so yeah, no, it just turned out to be this incredible person. Her name is her name is Nelly Garzon, and Nelly is was is a, a, an incredible arts administrator, a fantastic artist. The other woman she was talking to is one of the most celebrated actors in in Venezuela too. And I just happened to be there. So again, luck playing a part. So I became the coordinator of international relations for the International Theatre Institute. And through that, um, I was exposed to so much around the world. Like it's, it's silly, but you know, uh, with Nelly Garzon, I happened to have a dinner with Edward Albee, who wrote, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? So when you say something like this, and she introduced me to Pina Bausch, who is one of the leading, was one of the leading choreographers in, in the history of modern dance. And uh, Wole Sojinka, who's a Nobel Prize winner for literature. So I started to operate in that world and there was no, there was no coming back. Yeah. It was just, once I was there, it, it got into to my veins and, and yeah, I, my, my career as, as an arts administrator came out <laughs> answering the question. Maybe I can help you. Yeah. <laughs> um, right thing, right time and the right uh, attitude, I think. So when you did come to Australia, did you find it difficult to translate the amount of experience you would have gotten from all those things and what they meant there to hear? Because then there, is, there is a cultural difference. There's a, a different understanding of the people that you've just mentioned and everything else. Was it difficult to translate all of that and kind of kick off here? Every, I guess... It, the, the, the migrant experience is, 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 I guess, is demanding because it's all about reinventing yourself and it's all about understanding the new context where you're op- operating. Uh, to be absolutely honest, Ashley, I thought it was going to be so easy. Mm. You know, I thought it was going to be easy. It was going to be, you know, where's my desk and when yeah. do I start? Oh, by the way, when, when did you come to Australia? I came to Australia in 1995. Okay. And when I came, a couple of things happened. Um, I was very lucky because when I was in, when I was in Venezuela working with the International Theatre Institute, Caracas had one of the most important theatre festivals in the world. Just, you know, you name the Edinburgh Festival or the Adelaide Festival. The Caracas International Theatre Festival was one of the leading uh, arts events in the world. Venezuela was a different country. And, uh, and of course, the best theatre in the world and the best dance from across the world went to Venezuela and, and many things premiere in Venezuela. And it was Caracas that opened the door to other festivals across the region, like the Bogota International Festival and that. And I was very lucky that, um, uh, uh, working with a small festival who wanted to be an international festival, uh, they wanted to have an Australian component to, to that because they wanted to make the festival, the festival of the, of the five continents and the Nelly, uh, decided that she couldn't send me to Australia to find talent. But there was a big gathering of artists in Mexico City called Mercartes, and she sent me to Mercartes where I met some Australians and um, I negotiated with the Australians to bring an act to um, 
to Venezuela to the festival. Uh, members of Cirque de, uh, Circus Os mm-hmm. came, and uh, and the show was a great success. And I established a relationship with with these producers. Um, upon arriving here. Um, they were uh, working for the Australia Latin America Foundation. And I found myself doing literally bits and pieces. And when I say bits and pieces, um, I give you an example of what happens when you are a big shot back at, you know, back yeah. in, at home, and then you have to come here and you want to break into the business. There's a very famous ballet dancer called Julio Boca. who's one of the best dancers in the world. And Julio was performing at a theater that's no longer, uh, uh, doesn't exist anymore. And I had to be the uh, helper. And Julio needed the, <laughs> the, the surface to be clean, three times with a particular combination of vinegar and so many other things. So guess who had to clean that floor? Sure. <laughs> but Frank. But that was just part of that. Um, back to um, that concept of translation of, or, you know, across cultural communication or miscommunication. Looking back, um, uh, I did have some uh, a, a, a attitude. I, I did display some arrogance. Uh, and I had to learn the, the hard way mm. to know that here you need to um, prove yourself. You also have to learn how to uh, audiences operate here. Yep. One thing that helped me a lot was that I took a job as a flight attendant for Qantas. Yes, I remember. I forgot to mention that in my intro. <laughs> no, it's one of those crazy things. But the, the beauty of working, flying for Qantas was that I had this face-to-face contact with Australians of all, you know, all backgrounds and Australia really got me, helped me to understand the Australian consumer, you know, by, you know, serving chicken, beef, coffee, tea, and mm-hmm. everything else. But you got that interaction with them face to face, very close. Um, I never got the accent, as you can tell, <laughs> <laughs> but I got the spirit and I'm a very, very, very proud Australian too. Yeah. It's funny because it's funny when you said that, that particular job, I remember the day you were telling me about why you quit it, which probably we actually <laughs> won't go into right now, but that's, that's quite okay. Interestingly though, your, your career is kind of littered with very, not small, because they're most certainly significant, but, you know, in the scheme of things, little things you've done here and there. So you kind of play Tetris, you know, with, with your jobs and your work. I guess it's a bit, a bit of advice to others, because if you look at a CV of someone that's done 100 million things, none of them for very long, usually most employers will kind of freak out of that and say, have you got a problem with commitment? What's the issue? Have you not found the thing that you like? You know, and yes, there is the flip side of it. you could say, well, you must have a lot of really interesting experiences, but can you pull them together and focus just on us? You know, how did you manage to keep a stream? And I know that, of course, we're talking about the fact that you were always led by these cultural experiences. But let's just say for a moment, you know, when you were working uh, with Qantas, how long was, was that for? About three years. Three, a significant amount of time, right? During that time, did you always think this is merely a step of discovery into the other things that you're going to be doing? Or did you at some point just going to go, no, that's what I'm doing right now. The cultural thing might just not happen. I'm just wondering about your mindset as you're going through those things. Excellent question. Excellent question. Um, The Qantas, uh, it was, I was at a crossroads 
because uh, with all of that wealth of experience and all that training and all the money that I, uh, you know, I had invested in, you know, going to New York and, and do a, 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 a grad certificate at New York University is, is costly. It's, yeah. it's, it's costs a lot of money to, to train yourself to doing these things, to pursue these things. And there was a moment when really, uh, my partner was, was saying, wow, you're so persistent. And, you know, doors don't open up and you keep knocking at those doors. And there was a moment when we almost left. There was a moment when I said, wow, if it's going to be this, this difficult, perhaps, um, as in left Australia, as in left Australia, yeah, okay. there was a moment when it was the decision was, it was, it was possible to, to say, no, this is just too hard. Uh, the, the migrant experience is, is tough. Um, <clears throat> Not as difficult as me because my partner being Australian yeah. may and allow me to get into a network and to have levels of support and layers of, you know, people to teach me and all of that. So I have to say that my migrant experience, however difficult it was, it was from a perspective of privilege. But there was a moment when I was saying, well, actually, the world is bigger and I want a career as an arts administrator. Mm. As, and that's what I need to do. Um, so then, then. My partner goes, well, go to Qantas. You know, you speak Spanish, you speak French, you speak, <laughs> you know, at the time, I, I, Italian, and I didn't speak Portuguese back then. And, and they're looking for people that speak other languages. And surprisingly, it was incredibly easy to get into Qantas. Um, but all around that, and I was, I was, I loved the job. It was great. You know, you travel, you party, you do a lot of Lots shopping. Of duty free. <laughs> duty free. You're very well dressed and, uh, and, and it's a lot of fun. But all throughout that, I felt that that was a lifestyle that it was fantastic, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, I knew all along that I was born or that was my perspective in life was to, to do these things, to work in the creative industries, to, yeah, to, to develop that. And, mm. um, and there was, uh, came, the Olympics came up and the, the Olympic art festival was happening. And I knew that there was going to be a lot of, um, interest in, in, in the arts and in the creative industries. And I decided, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't fly anymore. Mm. And I remember sending a fax and <laughs> quitting. And it was one of the, one of the, it came to be a difficult decision because no one was supportive of me living such a fantastic life. But I just felt it in my heart. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Next was great because the Olympic Art Festival happened. There was a fabulous uh, event called Hemisphere. Um, Leo Scofield was the artistic director. I started volunteering with them. I reconnected with the Australia Latin America Foundation. We did some events for the Olympics. And then doors started to open and the journey was made a lot easier, partially because I understood Australia a lot better. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like you talking about understanding your audiences, uh, clearly, you know, as a marketer and also all the other stuff that I do, the first step in any creative things that I apply is who we're talking to and how will they perceive what it is that we want them to get, you know, and then you start from there and then you make it a two-way conversation and before you know it, you've got something meaningful. Um, one thing that I wanted to jump back to for a moment, uh, you obviously settled in Canberra. Interestingly, if I think of, you know, concentrations of multicultural people, so to speak, in, in Australia, th there's metro cities which are much bigger than this one that have bigger concentrations, right? So you probably 
could have been somewhere else with perhaps even more success because of that. Was there a particular reason why you chose Canberra? I had to, I had, I'm listening to the, to your question and it's so funny because it's taking me back to key moments as to why I land here. Mm. Now I was living in, I was living in Sydney for many yep. years, but then, uh, in the interim, I ended up living in Brasilia for a while. And for a, for a job uh, decision, we had, uh, my partner and I had to make the decision between staying in Brazil, which is a fantastic place. And Brasilia is, is very much like Canberra. I love, I have a big place in my heart for Brasilia. I learned so much there or coming here. Because my partner had a, a, a role with the Department of Foreign Affairs. Yeah. So the decision was made for us. We had to choose, okay. do we go in there? However, upon arriving in, in Canberra and we made Canberra home and Canberra is full of transient people okay. and you made these fabulous connections, but people come and go. Coming up to our 10th year in Canberra, I felt like you just said, I, I felt, well, maybe I go to a city that has a bigger population and that. And we relocated temporarily to Sydney. Mm, I remember. And, uh, and so it was, it was, it was a surprise, Sydney being the fabulous city that Sydney is. Um, but it had, uh, of course, the challenge of, of being in this place where in Canberra, but that time I had made a, a, an impact. Yeah. A, a you had imprint. a name and you were known I had a name, I done. had friends, yeah. connections. We were doing things for the Multicultural Festival. Yeah. We have a fabulous program for Floriat of musical entertainment. I was touring artists all throughout Australia with a connection with um, Warm Adelaide, always bringing stuff here. So there was all of that. Plus, I had the, the consultancy that was working very closely with all these embassies to develop their cultural diplomacy programs. So the impact of working with Brazil, working with Argentina, working with the US, working, you know, Mexico, it was meaningful work and, and, and powerful. Um, what happened was being in, in Sydney made me realize that uh, there were so many opportunities, so many wonderful things to do here. Uh, on the positive side, while I was there, um, I work with the Parramatta City Council, Parramatta being the demographic center of Sydney with so many yep. people and so much to do. Um, it was a brilliant time. I worked with the Thai community and we developed the Loy Craton Festival, which is a water festival. It's one of the biggest in Australia. Uh, Lunar New Year, working with the Korean community, the Chinese community, the Vietnamese community. <clears throat> Uh, so that was really great to, to be part of uh, Panamera, which is so vibrant and so diverse and so exciting. Uh, the choice had to be made. Um, I had just finished a, 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 a master's in arts management at the Sydney Opera House, which was also great because it's such an iconic art center and to, to study there with them is, is Incredible. Um, but the choice had to be made. Do we pursue Sydney or do we take all of this knowledge and go to where we're really, really happy? And then we decided to come back to Canberra. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it speaks volumes how much I love this place that, you know, if I left and the good sun came back. Home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. And you, you went to Caracas not long ago, right? Um, and, a bit of an actually longer trip. This is probably the first time in many years, presumably because of everything that's been happening. Did you get much of a sobering moment about that? I mean, 
did you get that point of reference again saying, well, I could have been here all this time or, you know, all the comparison to what Canberra is like. What was it like? Did you for a moment think it's, it's brilliant where I am and everything that I've done? Was there any moment of reflection thinking maybe, uh, maybe if I stayed here, you know, I would have become the next biggest <laughs> actor there. Did tell me how, how that worked for you? I think that's a conversation that every migrant would have uh, when visiting home. And it's that duality of where is home? And mm. where uh, home is where the heart is. And, and, and I love Canberra and I love Australia. Um, at the same time, Caracas is what made me who I am in many ways. You know, my values, my, my, the, my, my views of the world, my behaviors, you know, and my interactions with people. Uh, so it is a really difficult, very complex, very, very complex. I spent a couple of months in Venezuela and there are simple things that, you know, I notice that Venezuelans don't notice. Every single, single day in Caracas is beautiful. <laughs> so I kept talking to people about, oh my God. The weather's great. What a beautiful day. And they're, they're asking, what's wrong with you? It's always <laughs> like this. But apart from that, you know, f flavors, colors, smells, you know, the, the, the things that I truly value there is the fact that I could run into my primary school friends or my university friends or my colleagues or, you know, family and all of that. Um, surprisingly, um, I think I got to a point where I say, I, if I could share my time, split my time between, between Venezuela, uh, when that becomes possible, and I hope it does, and Australia, that would be, that would be a dream because, um, in a funny way, to me, I belong in the two places, sure. but on the other side of the coin, I, I, I'm getting asked in Venezuela, so where are you from? Mm. And tell me that accent. <laughs> I can't pick it. <laughs> and I'm in Canberra every time, you know, when I get out. So where are you from? And that accent, I can't really pick it. So I need to learn to live with that. You know, it's, it's the reality. I, I, I belong, I know that I belong there. That sense of belonging, I give it to myself because I feel so good in the two places. Uh, I remember the first time I actually went back after living in Australia for 20 years. It's the first time I went back to, to Europe. And it's interesting that I always thought of myself as a European person in Australia, but realized very quickly when I was back over there that actually I'm by far more Australian than I realized. Like 20 years of this culture really has an impact. You know, you become part of it. But I really love the blend of the European versus Australian thing kind of together. Um, I can enjoy the best of both worlds, understand all the things that are happening psychologically and otherwise in Europe, but you'll identify with what's happening here. It's good being a, not a man of the world because that's only two places, but you know what I mean. Totally. And, it, and it's actually kind of really nice. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you about, uh, we'll, we'll come back to the, um, to the kidnapping. It's the reason why I want to talk about that, but. <laughs> Before that, I guess what I wanted to ask is there are an increasing number of people who want to work in, in cultural marketing and all cultural events, just culture, apply that and, you know, you can grow the, the profession from there. For people wanting to get into it now, your path was quite a unique one. You definitely made a lot of your opportunities, but things change. 
so for somebody here who actually might be Australian, so let's not just presume that they're from somewhere else, and they wanted to get into that space, what would you recommend? Like, what would what steps would you take now if Frankie came to Australia and Canberra now and wanted to work in that space? What kind of advice would you provide to people as the first steps in that? I having having had the opportunity to actually. Um, study arts management. Uh, I mean, I studied arts management at the School of Professional Studies in NYU. And I also did it here uh, as part of that program with the Australian Institute of Music at the Opera House. Um, I think it's, it's a good thing to have some studying behind you, some mm-hmm. theory around, around that. Uh, some, uh, because, um, yeah, it provides you some context. It also helps you realize if really that is what you want to do, uh, because you do need to have a, a mind for uh, even you know logistics and 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 production and financing, and you really need to have a, a mind for marketing and and communication, and you you really need to know how you're going to uh, take that idea and put it into place, and you need to you need to be serious about your ability to make tough decisions. And, and also, to what extent can you engage with others and communicate with others and you're able to collaborate and to compromise? Uh, so because all of those things that I just mentioned make a, a, a good arts administrator or a good events manager. So you really need to understand that it's, it's doesn't happen magically mm. and there's a lot that goes into it. And there is a lot of, you know, risk that you need to understand and you need to know how you're going to manage those risks. Um, but putting all of that aside, it's also about how you feel, how excited about you feel, uh, you know, the, the drive, the, the, the passion that you will have. Because if you do have that passion, if you do have that drive, even if you don't do any of these courses, but, but that you, um, this decide that you're going to learn and take the steps and do the hard work to understand the guys from production, you know, the technical aspects of that. Uh, how does that happen? And, and the guys, so I would, I would really uh, encourage people to examine themselves and go and say, actually, this is not, this is fun. It is glamorous. It is fabulous. There is nothing like when the show starts and, 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 and the applause is such an incredible injection of, you know, endorphins. You, you feel unbelievable. But to get to that point that the high arcs, the, the, the difficult steps, the, the, you know, the, the, the possibility of failure and, mm. and how do you manage those, um, every one of those points of contact and, and, and interaction. Um, and also the fact that you, there is a generational issue. Uh, that we, we we have to be confronted with, where often people who have been in the industry for a long time and and great for experience, and I applaud and I celebrate and and I all the all the work that people do, but sometimes it's the the the, the generation that have to come and and then take over and bring the new perspective, a new energy, a new vision. Uh, sometimes it's difficult for yeah. them to get in there. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, hence the idea of you saying you just got to keep on knocking on doors and trying to break structures and so on. Correct. Um, you mentioned something that I think is very important, and that is that uh, in this kind of work, sooner or later, there's going to be disappointment. Not every show works. There are things that fail. You know, of course, you can learn from those experiences as one should. 
Um, but I would presume one has to have a fair bit of resilience in the work that you do. Um, because tell me how you get around that. I, I'm sure that you've done things where you know how good an artist is. You've done all this hard work to pull it together. And somehow the audience just doesn't get it as much as you have hoped. When that happens, you know, how do you pick yourself up to kind of go, and I'm going to keep on going rather than finding that a real downer and therefore saying, maybe I'm just really crap at this and I'm not <laughs> going to do it? Well, it's, um, it's often is timing. Often is timing. As we said earlier, I always, I've, I've always felt that, that my task was to present, expose people to new experiences. And, um, and of course, if that is the path you've chosen, Evidently, you know, when in a world where people are um, responding to what they see on television, what they hear on radio, or what they, you know, what they see on social media, and taking into consideration one one dramatic truth is that um, Australia, per se, is very hesitant and fearful of, of new stuff. Even when, when, it, when it comes to radio programming, f- to present a new song, it would always be, it would always be uh, after a song that people know really well. And after that new song, they will have another song that is well known yeah. to take that chance. So, and that is the same. So when, if we see, if we look at the industry from that perspective, we know that introducing new, new product will always be challenging. So I've always been aware of the fact that it will be challenging and timing and, and perseverance will probably get you to that space. And that takes me back 20 years when I presented uh, my very first band. I knew that they were wonderful. I knew that they were fantastic. David Byrne thought that they were fantastic and they were picked up by David Byrne for their label right. and they were incredible, of course. Um, I brought them, presented them at the Metro, not in a in Metro in Sydney, not a small space where I should have, but I presented them at the Metro. Um, I was surprised because quite an eclectic audience came, right? Uh, financially, it didn't work. Um, I lost a bit of money or not, not great deal of money because I, I was really good at finding uh, other ways to make it work. But the point of the matter was that that was, that was a show that could have meant I don't do this anymore. There's no money here. It's just too hard. Those guys came back 20 years later to Australia, did a, an incredible tour of, of, I guess, six cities. When they came back, they're the recipient of five Grammys. There are superstars. <laughs> there are superstars. That tour went really, really well. Financially, it was a great so success. What band is it? Los Amigos oh, Invisibles. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so when you when you look at that, you know, I, it could easily have been the end of my career as a presenter. Mm. And um, but look, look how well they they did, yeah, yeah. and and look how much I learned from the the mistakes. I've made uh, when presenting them for the first time. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, in, in my particular case, it's a different kind of journey because it's the comp, the, I guess the um, happiness comes from that exposure to, to new talent. Other people will do Rihanna on Enrique Martin. That's not me. <laughs> no, I completely get it. I, I, I love the way you're talking about this because what it seems like to me, therefore, that the way to have resilience is not to see things as the end of uh, 
the journey, so to speak, but rather a bigger part of it. So if you do have a failure, quote unquote, uh, you'd be saying, well, that's just the timing component. In the scheme of things, this, this doesn't matter. You know, if you keep on climbing, there might be little dips and peaks and so forth, but you're constantly evolving to do different things. And overall, the difference between you 10 years ago and 10 years now is that you've really made a big difference. Then that's a fine that you had a bit of a dip at some point. Um, so I think that's, that's really good advice because it's hard to do that for those who are just starting in their career, because all they know is this dip they're just going into. Um, actually, I think that's not a bad segue to the kidnapping, <laughs> because that is to do with resilience. I, what I found really interesting about that story, and we can go through it very quickly, but, but what I understand is that you were essentially kidnapped for a ransom. Is that correct? Yes. And there was a bit of a thing that they used to do back in those days. Yes. Gangs essentially used to organize that for extortion purposes. Um and I don't know how long the period was, so you can tell me about this. But what I was actually more interested in is not even the story, but you said that afterwards for a very long time, you struggled with, you know, perhaps panic attacks and, of course, the anxiety that would come with it. And maybe just from a psychology background, I found that very interesting that eventually you, as much as you can, got over it, so to speak, or dealt with it. And I'm wondering whether you apply the same logic, that if you think of your life and all the millions of experiences, including almost dying on a plane once, um, all those experiences, really in the scheme of things, the, the way you put that into perspective is that was a horrible thing. And you might have thought it was the end of everything by the end of it. But really, you got through it. And that's just a very small dip in the wonderful experiences of life that you've had. Am I right? I, I guess that's what I'm trying to draw the line to. I think you are. You are absolutely right. There was, I mean, in the middle of this, because um, there was a time when, um, yeah, for commercial reasons, I guess it was, it was um, criminals who, depending on who you were as the kidnappee, uh, there was a potential for them to sell you on. What I'm saying is, when this happened, imagine this. I was working for an American company, I had an, I was an Australian citizen, uh, which made me very valuable, uh, for the kidnappers. So they could either get money of me by taking me to the ATM or by getting my family to negotiate and give them immediate access to money. Or they could, uh, because of being Australian and working for an American company, they could actually sell me on to the gorillas. This happened in Colombia at a difficult time in Colombia. So that was, that was hard. Um, two things about this. I must be a very good negotiator because <laughs> I negotiated my way out of, of this. Uh, and, 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 and there was no exchange of money right. in the end. So, but with all of that, I made it look, I made it look to them as, as if it was a very bad investment mm. that, uh, that by doing something to me, there was no way they were going to be financially better off. And, um, I, I, I fought really hard for them not to realize that I was, in fact, an Australian citizen and they had no sense of me working for a, the type of company I was working in the US, but for, um, a, a, an organization who help people. And, uh, so. And, uh, so the so, value, so in other words, the, the monetary value of you as an exchange thing was lower. Very low. But, but doesn't that, I don't want to get into the, the, the thriller aspect of this, but wouldn't that also be a dangerous plot because they could say, well, if you're useless to us, we'll just get rid of you. Well, that was the, that was the, that was the, that was the toughest 
part. I I'm, knew. I'm freaking out right now. No, no, I knew exactly. Stuff. I knew. I knew that they were just to give you an, a quick example of the experience. You, the first things they do. The first one of the first things they do is they hit you. They beat you up to get you all disconcerted and nervous and 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 that, and then get you to feel really weak. Funny enough, or well, not funny, but because I was, I had been trained by Qantas. Uh, for anti-kidnapping and I was I received some very thorough training for ki- mm. kidnapping situations the interesting thing was that the minute I realized that that was a kidnapping all the training came back and I knew exactly the tone of voice I needed to use the kind of things I needed to say and how to go along with them and I needed to rec- realize uh, which one of the kidnappers was going to be more in control in control mm. I had I had a, a wedding, a wedding, a, a Cartier ring on one of my fingers, expensive Cartier. And I had another ring that was very valuable to me. It didn't cost a lot of money, but my mother gave it to me. And when they were taking my rings, uh, and they're taking the Cartier and they're taking the other one, I said, Oh, please, you know, you can take, take the gold one, but the other one, my mom gave it to me. The guy who's peeling, uh, pulling the, the Cartier, okay? The other guy, when I say my mother, he stopped pulling the ring. That immediately made me realize that if there's anybody who was going to let me go or was going to be open for the negotiation, it was going to be him because he thought of his mother when I talked about my mother. The other guy said, look, if he's, if he's defending that ring so much, take it of him. So I knew that he was the bad one. Uh, long story short, when they let me out of the car, and said, if you just going to walk out of the car, don't turn around. If you do, we're going to shoot you. Those steps from the car, I thought, that's it. This is the end. This is when they kill me because I'm not, I've not, you know, worthy financially. I felt great because I didn't get my family involved, which mm. was kind of a, a key thing to do. I didn't, I didn't want them to know that, that I had family there that they can contact and try to get money off uh, so yeah so that was a life-changing experience the one thing i learned from that is if something like that happens you need to seek help you need to uh, talk to a psychologist you need to get treatment you need to because otherwise the the trauma stays with you sure. it's really it's hard to overcome but uh but yeah so that was that was a biggie yeah and and what i say i mean like I said, you can't watch that film. Whatever that, do you remember what that film is called? Uh, it's called Sequestro Express, ex, uh, kidna- Express Kidnapping. That's it, yeah. It's a good film. If but- anyone hasn't seen it, check it on SBS. I'm sure it's probably on on-demand films. It's a very, very good film. But it, but it's so true to everything that you told me. Yes. It's exactly what they do. But anyway, I, I guess what I'm trying to get back to is, now that you're speaking about it, now you've got a smile on your face, it's kind of almost a fun thing, if I can say that, to talk about Again, have you got that in that little dip of life? And really, because, you know, you've been very lucky in all the other things that you've got and the friends that you've got and experiences that you've had and you've survived it and you didn't get your family involved. Is that how you managed to deal with it as a comparison to the kind of the mostly positive flow of life that you've got? Yeah, it's it's an important thing because, it, it, of course, that incident and other incidents, they all put things into perspective as to what is really important in life. And what is the purpose of being here? You know, uh, I place a great deal of value on being happy 
and 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 to give love and and to receive love. Um, funny that you mentioned the dogs, but it's it's uh, you know I I can't find anything better than being at the oval surrounded by all of these dogs. <laughs> they had not seen me in a while. I went back. I went to the oval. Uh, for the first time a couple of days ago, and to see them all running towards me, running towards me, fighting for attention. And it's, uh, you know, scientists tell you, it's, it's pure an injection of endorphins. Oh, yeah. and, uh, but I place a lot of value in that, you know, and, uh, and I place a lot of value in the choices I make when I'm, when I'm choosing a job to do, when I'm taking on a project, uh, the list of upcoming projects, you know, I have to value that. Marola's producer of the National Multicultural Festival is a, is a, is a big responsibility. It's about celebrating diversity in Australia. It's about celebrating diversity. It's about finding a representation to diverse voices. It's not only about uh, having uh, drummers on stage. It, no. It's much bigger than that. So if it's going to if it's going to be rewarding for me, having had those experiences in life, I do it. You know, I'm talking to I'm talking to the to, to the Wiggles at the moment. To you know, what is the next step in the Wiggles journey for Francisco, my character as the Spanish speaking Wiggle? What are we going to do with that? And I do this now because now I'm very aware of the responsibility I have with you know. I'm not talking. I'm, we're talking hundreds of thousands of children that. Tune in and they very, they, they, they listen to you. So that is rewarding. So I, I, I do that and I'm selective. If, if there's some bad energy or people are not going to treat me with respect, um, I walk away and do something else. Yeah. Look, thank you so much for sharing. I still think we've only gotten maybe a quarter of your life. There's so many other things we could have <laughs> talked about, but it just would have taken too long. So maybe we'll just do this podcast <laughs> in some future part and discuss the rest. But it's it's been great to know all of this. And, you know, the reason that all the dogs run to you is because dogs are exceptionally good at reading people and reading them for what they're actually worth, which is a connection. Uh, I think it's just a basic example of exactly what you do with other things in life. So <laughs> it's just that. <laughs> so if people want to come and meet you and you, and, and that, I think, head down to the O'Connor Oval. Definitely. Anyone who has a dog or has yeah. an interest in dogs. I have friends who have no dogs, but they love dogs. And I say, you know, come along and, you Pet know, some. meet, you know, there is... You know, there's Puppy, there's Lulu, there's Simon, there's all of them. They're fabulous, they're fantastic. But apart from all of that is also the fact that there's a beautiful community of people who come from all walks of life. And dogs are, I could describe them as... They all put us on the a same level. level. Yeah. It's a level. Mm. Like they don't know if you're an APS six or an EL one <laughs> or an EL two, which is so important in camera. I don't know. Your, your dog asked me what I do. <laughs> He's <seemed> pretty snobby. <laughs> you know, they don't know. They don't know the car you drive or the house or the suburb the suburb you you yeah. live in. They yeah. they just know that you're that you are human and they like you and they oh, look, love we're you. mostly from O'Connor and what is it, Turner around there and perhaps Ainsley. Um, yeah, that, that's awesome. But yeah, just head on down. And of course, you'll be you'll be working on the Multicultural Festival. So if anybody wants to say hello to you, I'm sure they'll be able to find you on that. Oh, please do. Yeah. And apart from more, more than that, if, if they feel that there is something that should be on stage or being a part of that fantastic dialogue and platform that is the National Multicultural Festival. I'll reach out to you. Reach out. Uh, easiest thing, probably Instagram, I presume. Yeah. Instagram is a really good way of finding What's me. What's your handle again? It's our oh, 
That's funny because I didn't invent it, but it's Frank number one Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> and the Frank number two Madrid's really, really no, quite no, angry no. about the whole thing. But. <laughs> Frank <laughs> number one Madrid. Oh, look me out, Frank Madrid. You know, just yeah. Google Frank Madrid. It's uh, do. I value every conversation, you know, so feel free to reach out and, and let's come up with crazy things to do. <laughs> Excellent. Well, nice talking to you. I'm sure I'll see you really soon and all the best. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. So there you have it. That was my chat with Frank Madrid. Indeed, I encourage you to say hello to him if you get a chance, whether it's at a cultural festival that he's producing or whether it's down in the O'Connor Dog Park. He would love to hear from you. And yes, you can suggest to him what kind of things you'd like to see or hear or experience, and I'm sure he will take that into account. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, then there are a couple of ways. By Instagram is probably the easiest, at Behind the Bio Podcast, or if you prefer email, then Ashley underscore Ferrode at Outlook.com. Thanks, by the way, to all of you who have reached out to me over the holidays. I'm very glad to be able to bring you the third season of this podcast series. Once again, thank you to Coordinate for letting me do all of this work and bring it to you. And I hope I can catch you at the next episode of Behind the Bio.